You're listening to a sermon from Free City Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We exist to extend the glory of God by making disciples through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Good morning, Free City. What's up, guys? Um, if you don't know me, my name is Alexis Latrell. I've been attending City for a little over three years, um, and I am a member of the Davis Miller City Group. Yes! We're pretty awesome. I think I'm like ride or die with this group. Um, I also serve with Free City Kids as one of our weekly coordinators. Uh, our scripture reading today is from Hebrews 4, 1 through 16. It's on page 942 in the Bibles beneath your seat. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works, and again in this passage he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains to some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect has, tempted, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is the word of God. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this day and for the ability that we have to gather here to learn about you and to worship you. Uh, as Ryan speaks today, just ask that God, you would come alongside us with whatever baggage we might be carrying from the last week, whatever distractions we may have, and just lift that burden off of our shoulders and open our hearts and our ears to your words and to your truth. In the season of Thanksgiving, God, just ask that you would also open our eyes to your gifts and your blessings in our lives, whether they be enormous or in seemingly insignificant, God, just give us attitudes of, of worship and of thankfulness. God, I also pray for Central Middle School. Just ask that you would fill these halls, this faculty, this student body with your peace and your presence. 
God, middle school is really hard. And I'm sure teaching middle schoolers is also not easy. And God, I just especially want to live, lift up the people in this building who are suffering, whether they feel burnt out or depressed or anxious, whether they feel rejected or unseen or unloved. God, just fill them with a reassurance and a peace that surpasses their own understanding. Just that reminder that we have a God who loves his children. Cover them in the shelter of your mercy and your comfort. God, give them the courage to ask for help. And also uh, ask for those around them, God, give them the eyes to see the suffering in their colleagues and their friends and their classmates. Uh, give them the emotional strength and the tools to come alongside and to help carry the burdens of those who are in need. All these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Good morning. Okay, so I have uh, not eaten breakfast, straight coffee. This is going to be fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My name is Ryan. Um, I, uh, I've been attending, so this is the crazy thing. This week is like six years with Free City. Yeah. Uh, so this is exciting. Um, yeah, I'm going to do that. Uh, so we, uh, my wife and I, we are city group leaders. Uh, Davis Miller City Group, Alexis plugged it. This is awesome that she was the scripture reader this morning. Um, it's the best city group out there. Uh, we're Gryffindor, we've won the House Cup. It's no, like, there's nothing, like, you can't fight me on this uh, Thursday night, 6.30. Um, we, uh, we, we've been doing this for a while now. So this morning, we are going to continue our series based off the book, Gentle and Lowly. If you guys have not read it yet, I highly recommend it. Um, for my audiobook friends out there, it is on Hoopla, if you know that. Um, Libby, I don't know, the hipster Libby, I don't know if it's on that one, but definitely Hoopla if you want the audiobook faux free. It's good. So, nobody is an audiobook person here? Sorry. Oh, this is not going to be fun. All right, let's do this. Okay, that's done. Okay, so this morning... I am, uh, we're going to preach out of uh, Hebrews 4, okay? So Hebrews 4 kind of has a central core message, and it's going to be like a huge message this morning, this one point. If you have notes, take this. You ready? Lean in. Jesus is kind of a big deal. Thank you. We got some applause there, right? So Jesus is kind of a big deal. And, of course, you're thinking, well, duh, we're in a church right now. You better be preaching about Jesus. But here's the thing. Hear me out. If you took an inventory of your life, would you say that you live as if, as if Jesus is important, not only to your salvation, but to your sanctification? Meaning the thing that is making you holy, is Jesus important to it? I would endeavor to say that those of us in this room, including myself, we would have issues with honestly saying that at every moment in our life, we live as if Jesus is important. Maybe to our salvation, but to my day-to-day, -day, right? To my drive, I work in Kansas City. To my drive to Kansas City, I don't feel like I rely on Jesus for that drive that much. 
for your school, for your work, for your, 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 your raising of your kids? Do you rely on Jesus for that? Part of the problem is this. When I say, hey, this morning we're going to focus on how important Jesus is, there are some in this room that might have even rolled their eyes. Not because you don't like Jesus, but you might think that our faith has evolved enough to go beyond Jesus. We might have, uh, maybe faith in Jesus and a gospel message is important at the beginning of your faith journey, but I'm a few years in now. Can't you just tell me uh, how to be a better person? And we do it with the absence of Jesus. In this part of Hebrews, the main message to get across is that you and I, and here's the thing, the, the, the message of this part of Hebrews is this, that we must endure to the end to be saved. So a big question should be coming as we read through this part of Hebrews is how the bleat do we endure to the end without Jesus? Hebrews sets up a, a huge problem, and it sets you and I up for a huge fail when it says that those who endure to the end will be saved. There's a huge problem with that. If you're not seeing it yet, we're going to see it soon. So this morning, we're going to go over two main things. One, that we are set up to fail in every respect as it comes to enduring. Can't do it. And two, that Jesus is set up to come with grace, mercy, and help to get us to the finish line. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much uh, for Jesus. And God, uh, nearly 20 years after my acceptance of Jesus, I, I still don't even know how loaded that statement is. God, I know friends in this room who are longer in the faith that they still don't know how big that statement is to thank you for Jesus. God, would you show us this morning, would you open the, our, our, our eyes to see a Savior in the midst of our pain that is holding us fast to the end? God, would you just open our eyes to see that? And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, point one, you're going to fail at this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. All right, together we will say the first word of this verse. It is? Okay, so, good Bible reading. This is just a tip. When you see a therefore, you ask. Anybody? What's it there for? So, what's it there for? Meaning we're starting at the conclusion of a thought. And that conclusion of the thought is started in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, and, and we'll go back a little bit, in chapter 3, what um, the author of Hebrews is doing is he's kind of setting up a comparison towards the beginning between Moses, who, if you don't know who Moses is, he's got a cool staff, let my people go, and he takes the people out of uh, Egypt, and it's kind of a big deal. He kind of sets up Moses versus Jesus, and I'm just going to, spoiler alert, I encourage you to go back and read it, but Jesus wins, right, in this competition. So if you look in uh, 3, verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5, now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ 
is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Moses was faithful in God's house as a servant. Jesus Christ is the son, the heir of the house. And then he sets you and I up as the house. His very inheritance. So, there's this little phrase in there towards the end of six. We hold fast to our confidence. We're going to see this in other forms later. So look in 3.14, just real glance real quick. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold to our original confidence till the end. The promise for those who seek Jesus is if this, listen, if you and I hold fast to the end, then we have a share in Christ for eternity. Amen. End of sermon, right? All you got to do is just hold on. If that's not good news to you, it's because it kind of isn't good news. A gospel of self-reliance is not good news. A gospel of, hey, good luck, pat on the butt, is not good news. So if I say this to you, hey, it's kind of cold now. Let's do this. Let's all get in a big bus, go on a road trip, okay? Okay, well, I'll be in the bus. I need you to hold on to the outside. Now, if you make it to Florida, we're going to Disney World. Okay, so for some of you, and I, there's some guys in this room that are just like, I could do it. <laughs> I just got to, okay, grip strength, right? Uh, there's those people that like climb on the walls. Obviously, that's not me. Uh, thank you for not laughing. That wasn't a joke. Uh, but most of us, they'd be like, no, there's no way. A, I'm not a Disney adult. That's not happening, right? Uh, B, uh, my son's in the, he, my son is like geared for this. Like, we're going to Disney? That's awesome. <laughs> but B, I mean, like the, the, the fact that uh, along I-70 or, or, or get onto 75 down in Florida, which I lived in Florida for a long time, that's a crazy road right there. Uh, you don't want to touch that road with a car. And then the, the fact that you have to hold on, it's not good news. It's not good news. And so we're supposed to feel, and, and in fact, the author of Hebrews actually sets us up to feel as we get into Hebrews chapter 4, that nobody's done it yet. It's an impossible endeavor to hold on to the very end by yourself. You can't do it. Look in 3.16. This is right after he gives the charge to hold on in 14, right? He says this, For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom uh, was he provoked uh, for 40 years? Was it not those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but those who were disobedient? God's most direct revelation to a people up until this point were in the people of Israel, that they had a message from God that he will save them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt and bring them to a promised land. And those people failed to hold on even for a week. How are you and I going to hold on to the end? Direct revelation from God. Moses didn't even get there. Moses saw the bush. You and I didn't. He didn't get there. 
were set up to fail. So that's the end of three. And so when we get to four, we start with that, therefore. That's what it's there for. To make us feel really bad about ourselves. So therefore, 4-1. While the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. The first call after we understand the history of the call to hold on to the end is to say, man, this should be making you tremble. Because that call still remains for us. That's what the author of Hebrews is saying, that God is still beckoning his people to come. God is still calling his people to come into his rest, to come into his eternity, to endure to the end, so that together they will be sealed. Still the call today, and the problem is still there, that you and I of our own merit can't get there. If you take a quick survey of chapter 4, and so we're not going to hit every verse of chapter 4, I just want to take a quick survey. We want to drill the point home, and the author of Hebrews is doing this, that the fact that God um, has set up this as a promise from the foundation of the world, and people have failed over and over again, it's kind of a big deal. So we looked at 316, and that's Moses and the Hebrews. Look at 4.7. If you look at 4.7. So um, if you look at in your Bible, just uh, this is a cool thing about Hebrews. Uh, this is just, let's just pause. Hebrews, really cool book. Why is it a cool book? Is because Hebrews is set up as a, a book about the gospel of Jesus for the Hebrews, right? And so what they do is it, you should notice in most of your Bibles that there's a lot of like long form print, like prose, and then a lot of quotes, and that's kind of like narrow. Do you guys see that in your Bible? Yes, you should? Okay. So those narrows, it's a lot of quoting from the Old Testament. So right, we're working from the Psalms right now when it, when it says like today, don't harden your hearts, that's the words of David, right? And so it's super important for this point and this point alone, right? So as, as uh, in 4-7, when he's quoting from this, he says this, Again, he appoints this certain day today, saying, Through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, and you see that's the quote from David in the Psalms, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. So there is a call from the time of David, and then thousands of years after David is when the author of Hebrews is writing this. And he's saying, David talked about it, and David didn't get it. And then in 4.8, if you look in 4.8, for if Joshua, so this is the prophet after Moses that actually leads them into the promised land, for if Joshua had given them the rest, God wouldn't have spoken of another day later on. He's saying this over and over again. Moses can't get there. Joshua can't get there. David can't get there. They're all looking forward. They're all looking forward. I feel like sometimes we live in a world where what matters is this. Um, what can you do? I, 
it's weird for me. And it's weird for me in this way because I, for the first 10 plus years of my career, I was working as a vocational pastor. And then I, I six years ago this week, praise God, we moved to Lawrence, Kansas. And we moved to Lawrence, Kansas to be here for like five minutes because I grew up in Lawrence, Kansas. And it's a great town and all, but why would I want to live here? There's students here. Um, it's God's like holy joke on me. Um, we're still here. No, we, we moved here, and we moved here to then, like, my wife was very, very pregnant with our third child, Peter. He's cute. He's almost six now. Um, she was, like, what, seven months, eight months pregnant then. So we move in with my parents just to get through that. But the point was we wanted to plant a church in Kansas City, and that was the goal. And I remember for about eight, nine months after that, everything I did was like meet with people about the church. So everything, I, I was like, hey, like I'm, I'm, I like get coffee with Casey just so that Casey would throw me some money, right? Like, because I had none whatsoever. And then Casey's just stopped throwing me money eventually. <laughs> Thanks, Casey. Uh, anyway, <laughs> but like I, I'd, meet with, I'd meet with people. I'd go to Kansas City, I'd meet with people. And, and, and what it was is, is this idea of, I, I'm just this like competitive, like striving, internally motivated kind of a guy. And every time I sat down with somebody, most of the meetings were good and they would say, well, here's some money. And I was like, yes, I got money. And then, but some of them, and I hated these, and because it caused me to be like, what the heck? Was it, I'd sit down, uh, and this happened with like people who have planted churches before and then weren't, you know, fooled by my, my persona or whatever. I'd sit down with them and they'd say, okay, so what are you doing? I'm like, what do you mean? I'm meeting with you to get money for a church. No, 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 like, what, what are you doing? He says, are you building relationships? Are you doing this? Are you doing that? You, and I was like, whoa, 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 no, no, no. That comes later. Right now I'm making money. I need the money. And what was so apparent to me at that time, and it was a very rough time, and we get to a really holy place, is that I felt such like a failure. And it wasn't because I didn't feel called. I definitely feel called. I still feel called to this day. I felt like a failure for one reason, because I was doing it by myself. And when I got called on that, it hurt. Doing things alone is a, like, you don't, you don't become Kanye without, like, doing it on your own. But then when you, people think of Kanye, oh, it's Kanye, right? I don't know if that point lands. You don't, you, the world, I'll bring it around, don't worry. The, the world very much, uh, louds upon self-made. The world very much louds upon and throws adoration at those who say, look what I did despite all of you. Okay, so the Chiefs, two years ago, right? The best team ever in the history of the football, right? 2018, all that kind of stuff. Patrick Mahomes is throwing 50 touchdown passes. What? 50 Breaks, uh, 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 you know, first season record, first season playing full-time, 5,000 plus yards. 
wins the Super Bowl. I mean, just, it was amazing. And I, I loved it because at that, that time, everybody was like, man, the Chiefs are just going to run away with it. The Chiefs are just going to run away with it. And then you would, like, put the mic in all these, like, brilliantly gifted athletes that are, like, chiseled every part of their body, and they say, man, everybody said we couldn't do it. That's a lie. Look at you. Everybody said you could do it. I said you could do it because I was crying in my bedroom watching you do it, right? We, we love to be the underdog. We love to say, hey, despite it all, I made it. And what the Bible is setting up for us is the fact that this, no matter what we do, we can't make it. Even after you feel, even after you feel like, hey man, I'm living for Jesus, when you live in your own efforts to sanctify and bring yourself whole and right, you're not living for Jesus. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, it's a Galatians 3, verse 1, he says, Are you so foolish, Galatians, having begun in the Spirit, are now trying to be made perfect by the flesh? What the author of Hebrews is setting up is that you know what's right, and I say endure to the end and you will be saved. And now I'm showing you that Moses couldn't do it, David couldn't do it, Joshua couldn't do it, and probably you're not going to be able to hang there. And what we do as Christians in our, in our most desperate moments is we say, yeah, yeah, just watch. I'll make it. And how do I know we say that? How many of you are in a city group or a life transformation group? How many are not? Thanks for, yeah, lots of us. How many of you are daily looking for the only way that you can get right is to say, Jesus, I need you. That's the problem. Casey says it like a lot. Christianity's not set up to be alone, but you yourself, your room, and a bag of chips. It's not how it's set up. John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, would say it this way. The Bible knows nothing of solo Christianity, right? We are set up to be in community that spurs each other on towards the goal. We are set up to fail without Jesus. So let's go. Let's jump down to uh, 11. We're going to hit this home. We're going to get done early too. This is going to be fun. So after the setting up of the history of everybody who has failed, but the rest is still there, after setting up all of that, it's still there. And look at 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fail by the same sort of disobedience. And the disobedience he's talking about is the people of Israel. He's talking about David. He's talking about everybody before this. So it's saying we must strive with all of our effort to enter that rest, that house as it talks about in, in Hebrews uh, 3 right? Eternity. We're talking about being one with Christ. I mean, those are all kind of synonyms. So just understand what we're talking about. That rest is being with God for all eternity. So how do we do it? 
So for the next three verses, we're going to spend most of our time here. We're going to do it in two big ways. Uh, one, the word that exposes us, and two, Jesus. And then we're going to break Jesus up into a few categories. So let's look right into the word. So immediately after the charge in 11, which is strive towards the end, right, there is a beautiful claim of what the word of God actually does. Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the hearts. The word is set up as, and let's just go through it, right? A living and active being, meaning that it is present with us. It is not a distant, uh, detached word that is, that is fixed in a time. It is actually a living and active word of God that is present in us. It means something to us. It speaks to our lives now. It is sharper than any two-edged sword, meaning it can cut and it can wound. It is not a blunt uh, object where it's beaten over your head until you submit, but it is sharp, so sharp that it'll open you up precisely where you need it. The word of God is piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. There's a part of you that is hidden from, uh, there's no part of you that is hidden from the word. It will be found it will, with precision. This isn't chemotherapy where it kills every healthy and bad cell in your body, but rather it is a scalpel that goes straight to the malignancy and cuts it out with precision. It can even go to the cellular level and target the root of your sin. That's the word of God. And here's the thing. It should be terrifying every single one of us. And it just, the word of God is discerning the thoughts and intentions of your hearts. Meaning, the word of God held against your life is able to expose you. There's no, yeah, yeah, but you don't know my heart. No, the Bible absolutely knows your heart. And it is wicked. And he can tell what's at the core of your heart. What's at the bottom that you don't even, you might not even yourself know about, but it, it goes to all of your actions. What's that? The word can expose that. So, as we endeavor to strive towards the end, God has set up the word as something for us to look at our lives against. Look at 13. No creature is hidden from his sight. And this is still the word but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him whom we must give account. Church, the word of God puts us naked, exposed, and condemned before God. So, you're like, well, how is that good news? Let's do it. Let's do it. 
The word makes us give an account based on a hit standard, not our own, if, and we fell. But now that the word has, has showed us what the standard is that you and I fall short to, we need Jesus, and we get Jesus. Hebrews 4, 14. So then since we have such a high, great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Listen to the, how quickly we got to this point. In 11, it's saying, hey, strive to the end. In, in, in 12 and 13, it's saying the word of God is making it that you are not able to do it on your own. And then 14 says this, Jesus has you. Jesus has it. That your hearts, which are exposed before God as wicked and sinful and, and, and weak, that Jesus has presented you before God with his righteousness. That's, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Look at 15. And here's where we get to like what I hope, and this is what we'll end on, is the crazy big deal. Hebrews 4.15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Look at 4.15, just that first part. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. The original meaning of that word sympathize is to be affected with the same feeling as another. Meaning we have a God who is taking on our weakness, our pain, and he puts it in himself. So the question is, since then we have a high, great high priest in 14, let us hold fast to our confession. Still, it's how do we do it, and now we're explaining how we do it. One is that Jesus is a sympathizing Savior who feels your pain. If you, uh, in, in the book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, Dane Ortland puts it like this. Sympathize there is not a cold and detached pity. It is a depth of felt solidarity such as is echoed um, out once. Um, uh, 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 um, is echoed uh, in our uh, lives most closely only as parent and children. Sorry. Indeed, it is deeper even than that. Our pain, in our pain, Jesus is pained. In our suffering, he, he feels the suffering as his own even though it's not his not that his invincible divinity is threatened, but in the, uh, in the sense that our heart is feeling, uh, his heart is feeling drawn into our distress. His human nature engages our troubles comprehensively. His is a love, listen to this, that cannot be held back when he sees people in pain. He sees his people in pain. He cannot stop. For we do not have a a uh, high priest that is unable to sympathize with our weakness. And then that second part of the verse, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, from gentle and lowly. The real scandal, though, is what we are told about why Jesus is so close with his people in their pain. 
He has been tempted or tested, as the word can denote, as we are. Not only that, but in every respect as we are. The reason that Jesus is, uh, is in such close solidarity with us in that difficult path that we are on is not unique to us. He has journeyed on it himself. It is not that Jesus, uh, it's not only that Jesus can relieve us of our troubles, listen to this, like a doctor prescribing medicine, it is also that before any relief comes, he is with us in our troubles, like a doctor who has endured the same disease. For we do not have a great high priest who is unable to sympathize with, uh, with us our weakness, in our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, find grace to help in our time of need. The uttermost reliance on another is counterintuitive to our lives. We are taught from a young age to find within us the resilience and persevere through adversity. And so, uh, so much so, at every major accomplishment, every award, every Super Bowl, as we talked about before, there's a statement that you hear over and over again, as no one thought that I could do this. But look at me now. That attitude carries over into our Christian walk. Nobody thought I could do this. So much pain and strife that happens between church uh, and, and people, the people um, that, you know, like, oh, I'm mad at that church or I'm mad at this church, come from that. When we held to the standard, you say, no, you don't think I can do this. Let me do this on my own. When faced with the very power of sin, we tend to cave. Without Jesus, and we have to stand up to that sin to endure past it to get to the end, we tend to cave. But what Hebrews does so eloquently so is it says the main message is we must strive. It sets up the word and it sets up Jesus as the ones that gets us to the finish line. People of God, we, me, I, we are not strong enough to defeat our sin. The Christian church has not evolved past our need for a savior. The persistent nature of sin in the world um, and in our lives requires that we, on a moment-by-moment rhythm, come back to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in every help in our time of need. What does this look like practically? That's always my question. So this week, uh, my, uh, so put it this way, my family are going through a homeschool journey with our oldest two. Those who have done homeschool, we feel your presence with us. Got older two kids. Um, and so when I say we, my wife, superwoman herself, is like taking our kids to homeschool. And so my family, I don't know if you know my family, some of you do, if you're definitely in our city group, you know our family, uh, Gryffindor, uh, just saying. We have big emotions. Anybody else, families, big emotions? Okay, great. 
So I come home Monday, and there was like this, uh, hey, you might need to go talk to one of your kids. I'm like, okay, so we just had some big emotions today. And so in that emotion, my, my, uh, it was my eight-year-old daughter whom I love with all my heart. She, it, it was just this, it, it, school's hard and school's tough. And then we, we have this moment and, and, and she has these moments because she sees daddy in these moments when things get tough. I might just like, ah, and yell. I mean, it's what I might do. And so I'm talking to her about it and it's always this, it, it's always this like, I'm going to yell. And then like immediately after that, it's like, uh, I'm really sorry for yelling. You know, like the conviction of the Holy Spirit comes. And that's kind of a, a, a rhythm that we live on. And I, I, it, was so, it was so good, you know, it just because I've been reading this passage and it's just been so hitting my heart closely. As I'm, I'm, I'm laying in, in the bed with my daughter, I'm holding her, I'm talking through this, and I'm just like, hey, um, sweetie, what if, what if during our anger, we just said, Jesus, I know you're here. And, and I'm saying this to her, and it's, I'm saying it to myself. I'm just like, God, can you just show me that you're here? Because what is, what is sin? What is my anger? What is, my, what is that other than just like, I don't trust that God can take care of this, and so I act out. So God, I know you're here. And it might not take away that feeling of anger. It typically doesn't. But it's just this acknowledgement to say that, God, I know that you're here. And it's this acknowledgement to say that, God, I don't like these moments. And I know that you're here present. And you know that you're there ready to save me, ready to take me up in your arms and not necessarily fix it, but be like a dad that says, I got this. It's going to be all right. What if I said, what if you said, what if we said in our, in our moments of sin, God, I know that you're near. I know that you're here. Because uh, Hebrews 4.16 promises that we can approach the throne of grace. We receive mercy and grace in our time of need and help. It's there. It doesn't fix it. It's not making it perfect right away, but it's acknowledgement. That's the process of sanctification. God, show me more and more and more and more and more and more and more that you're near. You're with us. So as we transition to a time of communion, I want to do this in... Um, so would you, can you just close your eyes with me? Uh, if you are, if you are not a Christian in this room, um, and, and there's no expectation that you are, um, we're going to do something for the next couple of minutes that I would just, I would just invite you to um, just take a second to just say, hey, what if I just assumed as if what this guy is saying is correct? And just do that. I'm not asking you to fully go there yet. That, that is probably an ask at some point. 
Um, but right now, if, if you would just uh, suspend your disbelief for just a few minutes, and, and I want to I take you to a place. And if you're a Christian, uh, you should go here, definitely. So here's what I want to do. As we close our eyes and as we think, um, this is what I want to do. And, it, and it's what is that, uh, what is that core uh, root sin that is persistent right now. Maybe it's something that we confessed earlier during the confession time. Maybe it's something that you won't even uh, dare think about because you know what it's there. But, but you're alone in your thoughts, in your head, in your heart. Um, that, that thing that when held up to the standard of God's word, it's not matching up and you know it's not matching up and you feel that. Okay, so as you take that and you feel that in your heart, grief to know that where you want to be is closer to God but you know that this is building a chasm between you that place in your heart where for the men in this room maybe it's when your family is left and you're alone by yourself No one will know where your phone goes. For others in the room, it's that hatred and animosity that just festers. And you smile on the outside, but inside you judge and you hate. For some of us in this room, it's that anger that we can't let go no matter what. It's that need to be right no matter what. And there's a litany out there that we don't hold a standard to. Just for a moment, I want you to hold that in your heart. Give it a name. Lust. Anger, jealousy, deceit, disbelief. And as you hold that in your heart, as, as if it's on one screen on one side of your brain, I want you on the other side of the screen to see Jesus. And this isn't the Jesus with kids around him in a shiny halo behind him or anything like that. No, rather, this is a Jesus that is bloodied and broken on a cross. If you look at your watch when you see Jesus, you see that it's around the sixth hour. And then what you notice is around you that it gets dark. The lights go out, but you're outside. It makes no sense how dark it's getting when you're in the middle of the day. as you watch Jesus there struggle to breathe with nails in his wrists that he, he has to pivot up on to breathe and he takes a gasp and falls back down as you watch that happen over and over you feel every moment is so weighty that in that moment you feel so so much is happening so much is being accomplished in every ticking moment. It seems like a long time. 
that as you then look at your watch again, it's now the ninth hour. Three hours have elapsed. And Jesus, once again, but for one of the last times, will pivot up to take a breath. And as he takes that breath, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he lays down. And then you feel the ground start to shake. You see, for those three hours, Christian, as you have hopefully on one side of your mind kept your sin so very present and on the other side of your mind kept Jesus' death so present, that's where Jesus was. But not just for yours, for anybody who would call him Lord. He was there. There's this divine moment where all of the sin, all of the pain, all of the suffering in the world during that time was absorbed into Jesus. And as God was looking at Jesus until Jesus drank every last drop of what that was, and then God sees Jesus as your sin, as my sin. And he says that the wrath that is due those who are not of me is due you. And Jesus feels the back of God. And he says, why have you forsaken me? And it was for us. Church, it was for us. And would you look up? I want to make this clear. The reason it was for us is so that when we hear that you and I must hold fast our confidence to the end, Jesus has made the way to do it. When you and I say we need to hold on to the very end, Jesus is saying that work has been done. Because the last words Jesus ever said was what? It is finished. So the confidence to hold on to the very end is in what Jesus did on that cross. And the reason we take communion is as a picture in our mind of our sin and the sacrifice for it is to say, even now. Why do we do this weekly? Because I need it every week I need to remind myself. I need every moment I need to remind myself. Jesus died for this. Jesus is present in this. Jesus is here. So um, we're going to take communion at the front of, uh, towards the stage. This is bread with gluten in it. Jesus had gluten. Um, and the wine for a gluten-free option and grape juice, it's, it's in the back at the info table. Um, it'd be a cool exercise, is at those moments of, hey, I need, this is where I sin and fall short, to have those in your mind as you take the, that, that, that sacrifice, because that's what it's for. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much um, just for this time, and we thank you so much for um, Jesus for what he's done and what he continues to do in our lives, that we are not, um, God, that we are not a people left to our own devices, but rather that Jesus is, uh, 
a very present help with grace and in mercy in all of our times of need. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.